copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Philippians chapter 3, is where we're going to be at tonight, Philippians chapter 3, and as you're finding your way there, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go street racing, anybody street racing, I don't know if that's your thing, and souped up car, yeah, I see a few of you out there, so I was able to borrow this uh, street racing car from uh, some people, you know, it's low to the ground, you got like the NOS or the speed burst, I'm not real sure how all that works, and, and I was out there on the racetrack with some other people, and, and I, I just need to let you know, I'm I'm borderline overly competitive, and so it doesn't really matter what it is. I'm going to try to be the best I can be so that I can win, win, win. That's right. And so I'm out here street racing, and actually I brought a picture of the place I got to do it at. It's right here. It was bumper cars, um, and so, yeah, calm down. It wasn't real street racing. It, you know, I'm not like Fast and Furious 47 or whatever. It wasn't me and Vin and Paul out there. It was just me and, like, my wife and some other people I work with. Anyway, we're on the bumper car track, and we are in it to win it, and I am focused, man, and I've got this deep hunger. It doesn't matter what it is. I want to win, and I, I'm focused so much so I'm trying to pass people. We really did have a speed burst on it. Have you ever done this? It's at Big Cedar um, out in Branson area, and they have a thing called fun mountains. Anyway, and so I'm hitting the speed burst at the right time trying to win and get to the finish line. And, and it didn't matter really um, what was on the line uh, because we weren't really getting a trophy or money or anything. We were just doing this for bragging rights. But I wanted to win. I wanted to win, right? And, and I share that with you because um, you want to win too. You have all come in here tonight and, and there's something in your life that that you want to win at, right? Like you're hungry to win at this thing. And the thing that you want to win at, man, you are focused on it. You've got to have it. You want to do whatever it takes to get there. And some of you, you, you want to document that success, whether it's a trophy. Like some of you have, you know, you have um, win in your mind when it comes to people. And so like you're seeking a spouse or you're seeking a relationship. So like guys, some of you are seeking you know, a woman that just looks really good so that you can document that success and call her a trophy wife. Others of you, you're seeking like a, like a place, on, you know, like there's, there's this neighborhood you have in mind. There's this house, like if you had this house, you'd be like, I am winning at life, you know. It's got the shiplap siding. It's got the perfect fence. It's in the right neighborhood or a car or something like that. Uh, yet others of you, there's the thing that you want to win as like a promotion. It's coming to that time of the year where, where you're really revving things up so that you can make sure that you're top salesman in your company and so that when you have that end of the year Christmas party, they're like, and the winner is most valuable player on the team. And you're like, yeah, you know, and you stand up. That's not that big of a deal. But, you know, you take the watch or the plaque or whatever it is and you proudly wear it and put it up on your desk so everyone knows. Uh, there's others of you. I can tell y'all come in here just jack. You know, you come in just eating protein powders, dribbling out of your cheek, your face. You know, you got a PR. That's the thing. You got to win in the gym, you know. And so you want to be able to erase that person's name with the dry erase marker, I mean dry erase racer, and you want to be able to write your name and your PR and your time or your bench press or whatever it is, right? You want to win. And, and if you're wanting to figure out what you want to win at, just most of you are on this thing called the gram, on Instagram. Just look at your page and just see what you're posting. And you can typically tell by the frequency of what you're posting what you are trying to win at, right? Some of you are the serial selfie person. And so you're just trying to win that attention, yeah? And, and so here's you, selfie in front of this place, selfie doing this, selfie doing that, and like every third post on your wall is you, okay? Others of you, like it's just you and your pet, 
And you want everybody to know how cute your dogs are and your cats, whatever. You know, y'all are here at this park doing this thing, and it's cool, right? Uh, others of you, it's, it's, it's videos of you working out. We don't care, all right? You've got good form. Um, but every eighth video is you working out because that's what you, you value. And yet others of you, it's just like you and, and at this place and you at this place. And everybody knows you're a traveler. Okay, I'll be get it, right? And so you're like every eighth picture or seventh picture is you in front of a new location get to experience. And, and you know, then, and then, you know, last but not least, like every fourth picture on some of y'all's walls, like me eating this, me eating that, right? And you're like, you've, you've arranged the cupcakes and the fall cookies perfectly with the fall leaf that hasn't even turned, but you found the one. It's there in the background and you, you posed everything, you know, just right. Everything's perfect. And you can look at your Instagram page and typically you can figure out what you're trying to win at. But here's the thing, like none of those are bad things, right? But, but the, the problem is, is that none of those things really last forever, and, and there's something that we've all come in here with tonight that makes us uniquely human, and it's this thing called a soul. And our soul is the immaterial thing about us. And I wonder, what are you doing to win with the thing that is inside of you that's going to last forever? Like, what are you doing to win with your soul? And so we, we come to this place called Paradigm, and Paradigm, just to, you know, to let you know what we're about here, we're about looking in, in this book that we believe it's inspired by God. Every word, every jot, every tittle that we believe that God has written a message to mankind, and, and that he's also embodied that message through the man Jesus Christ. And, and, and here's what we long to see everyone come to the conclusion, is that you would wrestle with what does it look like for your soul and God to begin to, to mesh and intermingle. How does that play out? And, and that the win for us is that you would come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That the win of paradigm is to see lives changed by Jesus. But, but what about those of you that have had that happen? What about those of you that would come bearing this title Christian? Like, what's the win of Christianity? Some of us, when it comes to the win of Christianity, like, we think that, you know, like, it, that, that if I memorize the latest Bethel album, or I memorize the latest Hillsong album, or, or I memorize whatever your Passion City, whatever your album is, and I get all the songs, and I learn the chords, I got it, that's the win of Christianity. Some of you, it's a Bible verse, like, you got 17 different post-it notes, and you're memorizing all the scripture, those things are good. Uh, others of you, it's like, man, I did a mission trip. I did unashamed this weekend. And that's the ultimate win of Christianity. Yet others of you, it's getting into community. It's church attendance. It's all of these things. And listen, all of those things are important. But the win of Christianity, to put it simply, is Christ-likeness. If you're taking notes tonight, I titled this message, The Win of Christianity. The win of Christianity. And here's what I want you to walk away with tonight. I want you to walk away with this insatiable hunger. This hunger that is, that is not satisfied. This hunger that is unquenchable. This insatiable hunger to win in Christianity. An unwavering focus on the prize of Christianity. And I want you to walk away with this mentality that I'm going to finish what God started. And I'm going to run my race for his glory. 
Paul, he's this guy that just embodies so much of this DNA when it comes to running a race and when it comes to winning in Christianity. And he's written this letter to his friends in a town called Philippi. And, uh, and he's writing to them about how they do life in Christ and how they treat one another. And, and he's warning them about these people whom he calls the dogs. And he says, these dogs have come in and they've sought to add to the gospel. And Paul told us last week that whenever you add something to the gospel, you know, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. When you add something to the gospel in order to receive salvation, when you add to the gospel, you actually subtract salvation from the equation. And so he warns them, hey, you got to lose religion. And then he says this profound statement, and we'll repeat it again here in a minute, that, that he's considered all things rubbish. It's this Greek word skubala. It literally means dung, like dog dung. And he considers all things, all of this religious work, he considers it all rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And tonight he's going to focus these friends in Philippi, this church in Philippi, he's going to focus their attention and hopefully bring all of us along with him to consider what it looks like to run this race and to win in Christianity. And, and he's going to call us to have this passion and this zeal and this focus and this unwavering commitment to the things that Christ wants to do in our life. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. An insatiable hunger. An insatiable hunger. Again, that means that you have an unquenchable hunger. It's, it's not satisfied that you, you're hungry. You want more. And, and Paul, he, he embodies this. Like he's just ripped off like how he's forsaken all of these things and called them rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And then he turns a corner and he says, man, I've done all this. I've sacrificed all this, but I ain't there yet. Like, like I love Paul. Because he's, I mean, he, he's like varsity Christianity, right? He's got like the Christian letter jacket with all the patches, you know, suffered, check, got the patch, right? Planted churches, like 17 of them, right? I mean, he's got it all. He could boast in this thing, but he says, man, I haven't even arrived. I haven't even reached my potential. I'm hungry, if you will. That Paul, he has this, this holy discontentment to know Christ that stemmed from the depth of his appreciation of what Christ had done for him. Like Paul, he's saying, man, I'm hungry to get to the place that Jesus died for me to reach. That Paul, he had this holy infection, if you will, by this virus called grace, and its symptoms just seemed to ooze out of Paul's life. I don't know if you know much about Paul's story, but he was the artist formerly known as Saul. And, and when Saul was growing up, he grew up as a very good person. And he grew up so much so, so passionate about what he believed in that he began to kill people who were a threat to his belief. That Paul, he's like a modern-day terrorist, and he went from being a, a persecutor of the church to becoming a church planner for the church. He was on his way to this place called Damascus where he got knocked off his horse and intercepted by Jesus, and he's like, he didn't know who Jesus was. He just knew he hated him. That, that may be some of you here tonight. And he says this. He says, who are you? In, in, in this voice, this you know, Jesus, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, why are you hating on me? That anytime somebody hates on a Christian, Jesus takes it personally. And then he goes on to say, Paul looks at him, or Saul back then, he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, 
And then Paul's blinded for three days. He goes on into this town. A guy named Ananias meets him, and he prays over Paul, and it's like the scales from his eyes fall off, and he begins to process, man, what does all of this mean as he was intersected by Jesus? And for the next three years, he stays in in Arabia, and he studies the teachings of Jesus, and he tries to figure out how they integrate with the Old Testament, and he comes to simple but profound conclusions that Jesus, that God, that he loves Paul, not for what he can do, not for how good or how bad he is, that he loves Paul just because he's Paul. And he loves Paul not because of anything he could do, but because of what Jesus did. And the gospel erupts in this man's heart, and he begins to fearlessly proclaim the simplicity and the beauty and the marvelousness, if that's a word, and the majesty of the gospel, that God loves you regardless of where you've been, that God loves you regardless of what you can do for him, that God loves you just because you're you, and he loves you because of what Jesus did for you. So I've got these three little girls, and they're seven, six, and two. And, man, they, they really bring so much joy and delight in my life. And, man, I love them so much. I just want to squeeze their cheeks all the time. They're so cute. And, and I feel this, like, pressure and this obligation uh, to, to really train them up, man, and, and to let them know just how beautiful they are, you know. Like, like, we live in this culture that is so confusing, right, ladies? Y'all know this, that you're getting all of these messages that are coming at you subliminally and then very overtly through music, through media, through billboards, through covers on magazines that's basically saying this same narrative that you, you are significant because of what you, you look like, that, that your exterior defines your significance, and what you can do with your body is, is what's going to help you get ahead in life. Now, that's not the only narrative in our culture, but that, that's a strong one. And I start like wrestling, like, man, how can I um, instill like inerrant value in my daughters and, and help them feel loved and secure? So one of the things I do is, is um, almost every night, it's one of my most favorite things, like being a dad is awesome. And I hope that every man here tonight has the chance to be a father someday. And, and be, I mean, it's incredible that God is going to use you in profound ways if you'll let him get, get married first. It's good advice. Anyway, and so um, you, you have kids. And, and, and so most nights I, I get into bed with my girls and, and we we listen to a, a worship song with each girl. My wife's in one bed holding two girls, and I'm in the other bed holding one. Then we switch, and, and then we, we read, then we pray. And, and, and one of the things I like to do when I'm snuggling up next to my girls listening to this worship song is I just like to speak words of affirmation. And so last night I'm laying with my Elizabeth. She's my six-year-old. And I ask her this question. I say, hey, baby, do you know why Dad loves you? And she said, because I snuggle with you. And I said, no, no, that's not why daddy loves you. I love you because you're you. And I love you because God gave you to me. You're mine. And there's nothing you can do that can make me love you any more. And there's nothing that you can do to make me love you any less. I love you because you're mine. And listen, I share that with you because this is a picture of God's love for every one of you here tonight. This is a picture of God's love for everyone here in this message in the future. 
that the, that the love that I feel for my girls, I can't express it. I, I, I lunge at the leash of language trying to give you adjectives and superlatives. But everything falls short of what I feel inside of me. And this is but a glimpse, but a shadow, but a glimmer of the great love that God has for every one of you here tonight. And that this grace and this mercy and this love, it's what erupted inside the heart of Saul that would change him to Paul. And, and, and he knows this Christ, that, that this grace came to him. Grace, if you don't know what it is, it's, it's unmerited favor. That God has grace for everyone here. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. That you can't buy grace. You, you can't earn grace. That God's grace is infinite. It's an endless ocean. It's a bottomless sea. That grace is what, what Paul would say. Grace is what changed my life. God gave me this thing. I don't have to work for my salvation. It's a free gift through grace. I don't know about you, but that's what's changed my life too. Like when I think about my life, man. I think about all the things that I've done when I, when, when I know I shouldn't have done those things, that the things I should have thought, the things I, I thought I shouldn't have thought, the things I said I, I shouldn't have said, the things I did that I shouldn't have done. I mean, my hands, they have stains on them. My, my feet have taken me places that I should have never been. Then there's other things. Like I, I see all of these years that maybe I, just, I could just say I wasted them. There were so many things that I should have been doing that I didn't do that I know would have brought glory to God. And then I see Jesus, like I, I hear stories, descriptions of him dying on the cross and his grace and him praying things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it, oh, it melts my heart. And I think, how could you, God? How could you do this for me? And this grace, it's amazing. How could he forgive this rebel? And when this grace moves in and it grabs a hold of you, listen, it changes you. And if God's grace hasn't changed you, you maybe have cheapened his grace and you don't really understand it. Because God always saves someone to change that someone. And once this grace grabs a hold of you, man, it gives you this insatiable hunger to know God, this angst to press on and to win. That the goal in Christianity is not sinlessness, it's not squeaky clean, it's godliness. The win is Christ likeness. It's not perfection. It's progress. And Paul knew this, that, that Paul had this insatiable desire to know God, this insatiable hunger to know him. And, and we see this all throughout the scripture. Like, like this is the rhythm of the people of God. Uh, David, he's this guy that's declared a man after God's own heart. But just because you're a man after God's own heart doesn't mean you don't have a wicked one. You still need God. And, and so David, like he knew that he needed God. So like in Psalm 42, it's one of, this, one of these coffee cup verses, and it says something that, that sounds real sweet, but when you really play it out, it's a little bit crazy. But it says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. And David, you'd imagine that he had seen like this deer out in the desert that's just like searching for water, you know, cotton mouth, maybe looking mangy and skinny. And he's looking around and he, and he can't find any water. And he's like, that's a picture of how I feel when it comes to my relationship with God. I want to know him. We find this lady, Anna, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. And she is, she is a prophetess. She's, she's fasting and praying and eagerly awaiting to meet the Messiah. And she gets to lay hold of this baby Jesus. That she had this angst to know God. You have Paul saying things like we read last week that, that, that all the world, all, all of it, it, it's rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Like who says that, right? 
And, and then we read it like Romans 8 where it says that all the creation is groaning and longing to be reconciled with God. That you have the hunger in the Old Testament of the men of God, uh, the hunger in the New Testament, the men and women of God. Creation is hungering to know God. Then you read like church history and there's people like Brother Lawrence, this monk that lived like centuries ago and you, you get his journal and he starts saying things that are borderline uncomfortable. Like if you've ever read Brother Lawrence, he'll say things like this, that I've had such delicious thoughts of God, I dare not speak. I'm like, man, who, what? Like, who speaks that way? Someone who hungers for God. And so you have men in the Bible, women in the Bible, they're hungering for God. You have all of creation that's hungering for God. Men and women of old, they're hungering for God. Why aren't we? Like, like, why are we so satisfied here tonight? Why don't we have this hunger to win and become like Christ? Like, like I think we're so filled up on the chips and salsa of stuff that we ain't got no room for the enchilada. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you just, you're just so satisfied with what's in front of you, and you're just gorging yourself on this, that you don't have any space left for the enchilada that's to come. My Chewies fans, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I think that's a picture of what we're doing. And I think a lot of us are coming here and, and listen, we're chasing things that are, that are important. Like, like you need to win in your workplace. You, you, you need to win in your school if that's you. You need to win in your relationships all, with your dog in the gym. You need to win in all those places. Those are good things. But not at the expense of the eternal things. We need to win in Christianity. We've been chasing the wrong prizes, some of us. And we, we need to win at the things that matter to God. We need a holy discontentment. We need a hunger to win. And so like 14 years ago, God intersects my life in this, this, this beautiful, messy, awesome, broken, amazing th way, right? And, and he begins to call me to follow him in a way I, I hadn't really followed him. And I remember at that time, I, I was, I was kind of changing my playground and my playmates. And I got around this guy, and he said something that just really, really convicted me. And he said something like this. He's like, hey, have you ever read the whole Bible? I was like, no, <laughs> no. He says, so you, you haven't read the book that you claim to believe? And some of you, man, you've been following Christ for a long time. But, but you haven't worked through this thing. And, and what gives you the confidence to go tell somebody that, that the word of God has changed your life, that God has changed your life through his word, and you haven't even read the whole thing? And listen, it's not wrong if you haven't read the Bible, but it's wrong if you claim to follow Jesus and you're not seeking to read the Bible. And so here's what I decided to do at that time. Like I, I just go to my table of contents. I pick one book at a time. I'll put the date when I start reading that. And then so I'll, then I'll turn to like Jeremiah or, or Luke or whatever. And, and I'll, I'll date the, the page one of that. And I, so I started reading on that date. I'll read about um, a few verses to a chapter a day until I read through that book. And then I'll date when I finish it. And then I'll, then I'll go on to another book. And I want to read the word. And I start writing some things, and I start pursuing Christ. Because, again, if I ask you, like, man, how's your time with the Lord? And you claim to follow Jesus, and there's not much evidence that you're following Jesus. Because when I ask you that question, and you're like, man, it's just been kind of spotty. Like, who's going to believe you that God has changed your life, but you don't want to spend time with him? And so Paul, he has this insatiable hunger because he wants to win at the things that matter to God. Where are the competitors in Christianity where are the men and women that want to win at the things that God wants to win at? Where are those that want to start running after the things that matter to God? 
And that's what Paul's calling this church. I press on. I got a race to run. And he goes on in verse 13, says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't count myself to have taken a hold of this. But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and, and reach forward to those things which are ahead. It's a key verse. And I love this when he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down, an unwavering focus. An unwavering focus. So I, I, mean, I love Paul. I love reading his writings. Like he, he was a sports fanatic, no doubt, because he's consistently using sport metaphors. Like he talks about boxing, like shadow boxing. He talks about wrestling. But no doubt Paul's favorite sport had to have been running. You know, he, was, he was a guy that just loved to watch a good old-fashioned race. And because he, he continually uses that metaphor of a race to describe our life in Christ, that Paul says, I run with a focus. He says, I know my Savior. I've been impacted by the grace of God. I, I know his grace. It has changed my life, and I'm seeking to know Jesus. And I love, again, that he says, but, you know, I, I'm not there yet. I, I still got a lot of work to do. I mean, he would say in other parts of his writing, Paul, that I'm the chief of all sinners. He's like, you want to know the worst person I know? We're like, yeah, who is it? He's like, the worst person I know. We're like, come on. Yeah, who is it? It's me. That Paul, he says, I'm the chief amongst sinners. That Paul is keenly aware of his need for Christ. And I love reading him because he says, I haven't arrived there, but I keep pressing on to know him and to reach the goal. Like, like Paul is not hobbled by the fact that he doesn't measure up. He's driven by it. And I love this mentality. It comes out in the words of a famous football coach named Vince Lombardi, um, the Lombardi Trophy, whom the Chiefs are going to win once they turn things around this year, all right? And so the Lombardi Trophy, that's the, that's the trophy that you get when you win the Super Bowl, all right? And so Vince Lombardi is one of the most quoted coaches of all time. He coached uh, most famously the Packers in the 60s. And he said this to his guys, and I love this. He, he said, perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. And I love that because I think that really captures what Paul is saying. We're going to chase perfection. It's not attainable, but, but as we chase it, we will achieve excellence along the way. And Paul is saying you've got to have an unwavering focus, but this is easy to lose, right? So, again, back when I was street racing and uh, Tokyo drifting out there on the go-kart track, um, I, I, uh, I kept kind of just like making sure people weren't going to pass me. I think I had a slower car or I'm just bigger than everybody else. Probably the latter. Anyway, so, um, and, and I was like looking like this, and when I would look behind me, I would lose my focus on what was ahead of me. And, and so often, like, we lose our focus when it comes to what matters most. Like, like some of y'all are so ADD, right? You're like a squirrel in the backyard. I mean, it's just, you just follow, I mean, just following whatever, and I get it. I'm the same way. And it's easy to lose our focus, but Paul, he says that I, I, I have an unwavering focus because I forget what is behind me. And I think that encompasses a few things. And one of the ways that we lose our focus is that we relish in our past successes. Like, man, it breaks my heart to talk with people who talk more about what God did in their life years ago than what he's doing in their life today. As if that's like the badge of, of success in their faith. And I think we all have this tendency to, to look back at a day, and it's not wrong to remember what God has done, but, but we all have this tendency to, to kind of see a season in our life and, and then use that season of God's faithfulness to justify our laziness. 
And Paul says, you, don't, you, you, gotta, you gotta forget your wins. You gotta have a, a short memory in regards to, to some things in your life because listen, if you just talk more about the past than you do about the present, then you're just gonna become a monument. And a monument is something that lives in a museum with all the rest of the dead things. But the church is a movement. Paradigm's a movement. Abundant life's a movement. And we want to see God do something fresh. And we're seeing him do something fresh. God is a God of infinite grace. But listen, daily grace. And so it's not wrong to remember God's faithfulness. We should tell the stories of our past. But if you're hanging on to his faithfulness in the past and not relying upon him to do something new in the future, then you're losing your focus And we have to have an unwavering focus. I think another way that we lose our focus is not only do we relish our past successes, but we replay our past failures. I think a lot of people have come here tonight and you have disqualified yourself from what God wants you to do because you've put more faith in your failure than in the finished work of Jesus. And you keep replaying your past as to why you don't deserve to be in ministry. And I'm not talking about what I do, I'm talking about every Christ follower has a ministry. Every salvation comes prepackaged with a sermon. But some of you, you are disqualifying yourself because you're replaying your past failure. And Paul says, I forget what is in my past. Like, like when are we gonna believe the word of God? When, when are we going to believe the truths, like in Psalm 103.12 that says, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've removed your transgressions from you. When are we going to put more faith in the finished work of Jesus than in our past failures? Some of you come in here, you're like, man, i got a strain of sin ain't nobody seen. Like, it's vicious. Like, i got a strain of sin that has no ability to be cured. No, you don't. I serve a God of infinite power, a God that raises the dead. And if you aren't dead, then I promise you, he can do something with you. And even if you are dead, he may just raise you up just so he can fix you. That there's no strain of sin that is too vicious or too vile that he cannot cure. Listen, you are not grace's kryptonite. All right? Some of y'all come in here, you're like, man, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. You don't know what I've done either. And if anybody doesn't have any business, if anybody's unqualified, you're looking at him. This lust-filled, arrogant, self-reliant man, who am I to stand up here and tell you how to live your life? I am nothing but by the grace of God. And if I allow Satan to keep whispering in my ear, you're not worthy, you don't belong, then he's going to continue to have victory in my life, and I'll be ineffective. And some of you have come in here, and you've fallen down because you're clinging on to your past failures more than you're clinging on to the power of God. And when we recall our depravity, we don't recall it so that we would disqualify us in ministry. But we recall our depravity so that we can understand the depth of our salvation, See, we don't relive our past to remember the pain. We relive our past to celebrate the healing. Paul says you've got to regain your focus. I think another way that we lose our focus is that we just, uh, we just begin to feel sorry for ourselves. you know? 
Like we'll get into a season and, and things aren't playing out the, the way that we hoped they would and we just start feeling sorry for ourselves. I was talking with a good friend of mine. He lives down in Texas and he's been up here for the weekend and we were talking about one of his experiences that he had and he had the opportunity to go into the Amazonian jungle down in Peru and Brazil. He kind of split time between those two places. And he was down there because he was wanting to live a life on mission and he was wanting to help indigenous peoples uh, that live in the jungle that have never heard the gospel, never seen a gringo in their life, to hear the message of Jesus. And I want him to come up here and just share his story about a time that he lost his focus. So if you would, just put your hands together and welcome my friend Jason Fenton to the stage. What's up, bro? What's up? You good? Your mic on? Everything? I'm good. Oh, hey. Hey. Oh, a little close? A little close? Okay. That's great. So Jason, um, served in Peru. Yeah. Lost focus. Tell us about the story. Yeah. Uh, I'll start off by just asking, has anyone here ever had a bad day? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's <laughs> like, I'm having one right now. But yeah. So man, living life on mission, being a missionary, no different. You've got good days and you've got bad days. And, and this story... I was having a bad day. So kind of picture this. I'm in the jungle in a rural village uh, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I've been there for about two months, and I was having a bad day. So I'm really struggling with this culture shock idea. Uh, I'm struggling with the food I'm eating. I'm eating like monkeys, parrots, those kind of things, right? Yeah. That's not a joke. No, no, for real. Like no chicken fried steak. It wasn't a thing. Uh, Yeah. That's disgusting. It is. It was. But so when you go to the zoo, are you like... I pick them out. I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> but, yeah, so you can imagine those type of things. Plus, I'm trying to learn language, trying to communicate, and I'm trying to do the Lord's work. So sharing stories uh, through the Bible, storing process, and just feel like I'm getting nowhere. But I, I'm really angry and frustrated with God. And so I can remember saying, like, Lord, I'm doing all these things, right? What are you doing? I wish you would just do something. And, and kind of just giving this challenge to the Lord, like, man, show up, do something, you know, this is all the stuff I'm doing. So anyway, that's the state I'm in, throwing a pity party for myself. Whoa. And uh, right about that time, one of the villagers comes up uh, into my hut and says, hey, you want to come fishing with us? And immediately in my heart, I'm thinking, no, I want to sit here and feel sorry so for myself. Good. Yeah. And, uh, but I knew deep down, hey, I, I need to go. This is why I'm, I'm here to make these relationships. And so we go. Uh, but just a little, little backdrop. Uh, if you know anything about fishing, it's nothing like that in the jungle. So how they do it down there is not with a rod and reel. Uh, what they do is they take a plant, mash it up, uh, and they, they take that plant uh, to a stream. And at the headwaters of the stream, they'll dump the plant in the stream. And as it goes down the water... Uh, it'll just kill all the fish. <laughs> and so it's really easy. You just walk around with a bucket and just Real throw sporty. all the fish in. Yeah. Sporty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Very effective, not very ethical, but yeah. <laughs> and so this is what we're about to go do. Uh, there's about five of us, but it's going to take us about, you know, there's a three or four mile hike into the, the jungle to get to this location. Uh, and so we're walking, and, and I still have a really bad attitude. So I'm the last one. I'm kind of dragging my feet, still feeling sorry for myself, have a terrible attitude. Uh, but as we're walking, man, we're trying to look at where we're going and looking for things to eat along the way, in fact. So kind of like a Lunchable, the perfect snack 
in the jungle uh, is a turtle. So we're looking for these turtles to kind of just pick up, throw in our bag, and at the location we'll, you know, we'll unpack our lunch and eat, eat some turtle soup or whatever. But true story. Anyway, so we're walking through. Uh, and like I said, I'm in the back of the pack. And very clearly, I can remember this moment. So I take a step forward with my left foot. Uh, and I look down, and I see a giant snake. I mean, just huge. Mm. Uh, and it was coiled up with its head cocked back, you know, just like in the movies, just ready to strike. And what was really scary is I'm wearing boots and then shorts. So its face and mouth was a couple inches away from my knee, just exposed skin. Uh, and so... After I peed my pants, I immediately felt and heard this voice in my heart uh, saying, it, from the Lord, just saying, Jason, you don't even know all the things that I'm doing, you know? And it immediately convicted my heart where earlier in the day, I'm saying, God, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. What are you doing? I wish you would do something. And here God is shutting the mouths of serpents, opening my eyes to see them and telling me, hey, you don't even know all the things that I'm doing, Jason. You no, don't and, even know. And this wasn't like a gardener snake, right? No, no, no. So this snake, uh, I knew what kind of snake it was immediately because my mom made me do a lot of research before I went down to the jungle, right? <laughs> and this snake is called the Amazonian Bushmaster. It's one of the most deadly pit vipers in all of the Americas. And they say one bite from this snake, you have about eight hours to receive antivenom or you'll die. Uh, but if you do receive the antivenom, uh, within that amount of time, odds are you're still going to lose your leg or your foot or, or whatever it bites. Uh, so just a bad dude to run into in the jungle, for sure. Yeah, so, you, I mean, you're like, I mean, you're eight days from civilization, right? Right. And so you get, a, you get bitten by the snake, and so God impresses upon your heart. You have no idea what I'm doing, mm. you know, and he, and he kind of snaps you out of that pity party, so to speak. Mm. Uh, refocuses you, you know, in an instant, in some way, sobers you up. Uh, but what did y'all do? Did you, you know, what did you do after that? Yeah, so we ended up killing the snake. That's good. Yeah. yeah good job. Not one of those you just want to <laughs> lay around. But I did uh, want to keep some of the snake skin as just a reminder to myself of, hey, this is what God has done. Uh, and this is how he shifted my perspective, my attitude out of thinking of myself and just having a pity party to celebrating God's goodness and understanding that he is working at all times. That's awesome, man. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing, you brother. Bet. I really appreciate it. Doug, give Jason the hand. So I think a lot of you have come in here tonight, and, and again, we have this tendency to lose our focus, right? And Paul is saying that I forget what's behind me, and I press on towards the goal, the prize. And, and some of you, you've lost your focus, not because you're like in a, you know, a, a Peruvian jungle hut, and you're trying to process your faith in Christ, um, and asking God, what are you doing in my life? But maybe you've come in here, and you're in a season in life where, where you're like really trying to honor the Lord, and you're like, God, what are you doing? And maybe you've come in here and you're kind of throwing this little pity party because life isn't turning out the way you thought it would. And listen, uh, there's a great quote by a guy named John Piper. He says that God is doing 10,000 things simultaneously on your behalf, and you may be aware of three of them. And he's shutting the mouths of, of vipers, and, and he's helping you see them and reminding you of his goodness. And I'm calling you tonight to, to have an unwavering focus because if you get in this pity party and start feeling sorry for yourself, you may know Christ. And listen, you may arrive in heaven with a saved soul, but a wasted life. 
And we want to live a life with an unwavering focus so that we can win in Christianity. And how do we do that? Paul says that you've got to forget what's behind you, but then you've got to reach forward. This is what the Bible calls repentance. That, that it's not just about forgetting things. It's not just about leaving some things in our past, but it's about moving towards some things. That the power of repentance is not what you turn from, but it's who you turn to. And Paul, he is reaching out to know Christ. He wants to know him. He has this insatiable hunger and this unwavering focus. That's why he says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He wants to win, and the win is Christ's likeness. It goes on in verse 15. says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, those who, who are pursuing the same end in mind, he says, let us have this same mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless... To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. I want you to have a finishing mentality. I want you to have a finishing mentality. Paul has this mindset of a finisher. There ain't no quit in the apostle Paul. That if you want to be a Christ follower, one of the tenets of Christianity is tenacity. Let us not stop. Let us have a unified effort that we're going to run this race with reckless abandon and we're going to reach the finish line. If Christianity were a race, the ones who win are the ones who finish. That's what Paul would say in Acts 20, 24, that I don't count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace of God, that Paul was in it to win it, that he says earlier in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will finish it, he will complete it under the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got too many quitters in our day. There's this mass exodus of people in our generation that are walking away from Christianity because they bought into a, a, a pseudo version of that. But where are the finishers in our generation? Where are those who want to win for Christ? Where are those who will run with reckless abandon? Where is the stamina in this generation? Where's the perseverance? Where are those who want to run? We got to have a finisher's mentality. Uh, there was a famous Olympian in the 92 Olympics in Barcelona, named Derek Redman, and he was slotted to win the race he was running. And he takes off, and he gets a, a, about 250 meters from the finish line and snaps his hamstring, and immediately he falls to the, the track, and he's, man, he's agonizing in pain, and, and, and the, the medics come out with a stretcher from the field, and they're going to cart him off, and, and he waves them off, and, and he musters in his strength, and, and in the midst of his pain, he musters to stand up and get back on his feet. Because even though he was going to finish dead last, he was going to finish. And so he gets up, and he's agonizing to make it these 250 meters with a blown hamstring, and his father is sitting in the stands, and watching his son agonizing and so he pushes back the, the security and he comes down to the track and his father comes alongside of him and you can see him right here in this picture. And his dad puts his arm around him and, and his dad comes alongside of him and he, he helps him finish his race. One commercial said this, that they didn't finish first but he and his father 
finished. And listen, I share this with you because this is such an incredible picture of what Christ has done for you. That the scripture tells us that God has set a race for humanity, for us to run with reckless abandon. But because of sin, there's corruption and brokenness, and so we've set out to run this race, but somewhere along the way, we fail. And we had a blowout of sorts. Maybe it was a broken heart for you. Maybe it was a season of just reckless rebellion. Maybe it's a season of apathy, and you maybe feel like God has forgotten you, and you're on your face spiritually. But what the gospel tells us is that God did not stay in his heavenly stands, if you will, but he looked down upon mankind in his brokenness. And he pushed back his security of angels, and he stepped down into time in the man Jesus Christ so that he could help come alongside of us and help us to finish the race. And the way that he finished the race is by dying on the cross and shedding his blood and raising from the grave. And when he breathed his last, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. So that he can come alongside of us in the form of his spirit and help us finish what God has started. But don't quit. If you're down, don't stay down. Get up. The word paraclete is the Greek word for Holy Spirit. It literally means to come alongside of. So if you're down, allow the Spirit of God to pick you up, to put his arms around your soul and help you finish what he started. I want to encourage you just to bow your head and close your eyes. Some of you are here, man, you, you're wrestling. And there's some things that have got you knocked down. There's some apathy in your life. Maybe you're in a place of brokenness. And God wanted to do something new in you, give you this insatiable hunger to know him and to press on towards the goal and the prize. So you can have this unwavering focus and you can have this finishing mentality but you don't know where to start, let me just give you a prayer that maybe you can pray. The prayer goes like this, and maybe you should pray this in your spirit tonight. Father, I'm empty, but you're full. I'm hungry, but you are the bread of heaven. I am thirsty, but you are the fountain of life. God, I'm weak, but you're strong. God, I'm poor, but you're rich. I'm foolish, but you're wise. God, I'm broken, but you are whole. God, I'm dying, but your steadfast love is better than life. Look up at me real quick, guys. Listen, if, when God sees a confession like that, and when he hears an expression of trust like that, he acts on your behalf. He, he moves in because, listen, the glory and the reputation of his all-sufficient grace is at stake if he doesn't. And that he wants to move into your situation. Give you an insatiable hunger to know him. 
and an unwavering focus to run the race so that you can win at things that matter the most and have a finisher's mentality. Let's win, Paradigm. Let's win. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that you would just help us to consider the great measure of your grace and of your sacrifice. And God, I pray that you would put inside of us this, this deep desire to know you. You say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, I pray that you would fill us tonight. Now, for those of us that have fallen and are choosing to stay down, God, I pray we'd take up our mat and walk. We wouldn't choose to be crippled. God, you do something new tonight. You'd work in our life and help us to win at what matters most in Christ's name. Amen.